0: a pleasure to be with you all this morning. Um, I looked as I talked to people coming in, I thought, man, there's some really fun familiar faces here, uh, which I'm grateful for. And uh, I'm grateful for the partnership that's developed between Campus Ministry and Alive. I've been at CMGVSU for uh, 10 years this year, and I think that's right around the time uh, the first Alive plant started, maybe somewhere around that range. And actually, our friend Kerry Rogers uh, was a partner between Campus Ministry Grand Valley and Alive Church when she worked at um, the first Alive plant um, a handful of years ago and has been a part of a significant development of what God's doing here uh, in the West Mission area. So I was really sad when Carrie said, I think Alive and God, more importantly, is calling me to plant a new church uh, in Granville. I was like, yeah, that sounds like something God would do, but uh, we're going to miss you. Being a part of the team at Grand Valley, but uh, thankful for what God is doing here. What an exciting uh, thing that's developed here, really, in the course of a very short period of time. So, just to let you know about me, I'm Scott. I said uh, I'm not Tony Stark, although um, my kids thought Tony Stark was their uncle for the first part of their lives. Um, So, uh, you know, Uncle Tony, he's just always off saving the world. And uh, I have never seen. The uh, the show Game of Thrones, don't have HBO, have not seen it, but I've definitely appropriated the House of Stark into my life uh, the last few years. Because, uh, you know, when you say that, people immediately connect and think you're cool, which I need all the help I can get. You'll figure this out along the way. Uh, my wife Julie is over in the corner there. Um, she's amazing, far more interesting than I am. I'd encourage you to talk to her after the service as well. And my kids, Mac and Allie, uh, are over there as well. Mac's 11, Allie's 9. They've been a part of our journey at Grand Valley. Um, for pretty much the whole time we've been there so thank you friends for the invitation to come and be a part of what God is doing here to both testify to you to the revival God is doing among young adults and students at Grand Valley State University but also to bear witness with you to what God is doing here and how God is shaping lives in this space I am always encouraged as I visit lots of churches in the West Michigan area that help support and make campus ministry happen God is doing amazing things here in West Michigan is he not God is transforming lives. The Holy Spirit is being poured out and it is exciting to be in a place in a season where the Holy Spirit is being poured out in such a way, lives are being transformed all over the place. And we see it all the time at Grand Valley. We have, um, over the last few years, developed three worship services across both of our campuses in Allendale and Grand Rapids. So if you were to show up tonight or any other Sunday night during the school year, you'd see seven to eight hundred College students at a public university worshiping Jesus Christ and being called into discipleship and to follow him as um, the missional agents on campus. And then I come to churches like this one and I see people who are committed to discipleship and not only pursuing Christ personally, but making him known in the world. And I say, Man, I, there's data out there, you know, there's data that says that people are walking away from the church, and especially young adults are leaving the church. And I say, Man, I don't argue. I mean, data is what data is, but God is not deterred. Amen. God is on the move, and we get to be a part of that. And so, it is uh, again a real privilege to be a part of this with you. To think about this morning, particularly about the generous love of God that is being poured out into our own lives and into the communities that we're a part of. And I understand that you've been going through a series on uh, God's generosity, and so we're just picking up on that theme really specifically this morning on the uh, lavishly generous love of God that is so heaven-bent on redeeming the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And so if today, um, I don't know how this usually happens here. Is the scripture printed on the screen? Are there hard copy Bibles? I should have asked this in advance. Um, Or is it just printed behind us? Okay, I should have asked that in advance. But we're going to be looking this morning at uh, Luke chapter 15. If you have a Bible of your own and you want to follow along, uh, Luke is in the... Uh, New Testament of the Bible, which means it's in the later section, the near the back of the Bible. And it's one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then we're going to be in chapter 15. And it is delightful to have the cacophony of uh, children making a joyful noise to the Lord during this. I was told that that might happen. So I'm hearing this and thinking, what a fun, alive place this is. Good job, team. Uh, if you are following along in Luke chapter 15... Uh, it starts this way. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering, "This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them." That's a good opening scene to a story, right? Right. Already Luke does such a good job of putting the tension out there for us between these two very different groups of people: the Pharisees and tax collectors and the, um, excuse me, the tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law. And we could, friends, sit for a minute on um, the question. Really, just these two verses could be a sermon. Because we could say, how is it that Jesus is so bold in his teaching? In fact, in just the chapter before this, Jesus talks about what it means to be a disciple and to give your life for the cause of the kingdom of God. And that in spite of Jesus so being so bold about who he is and so um, upfront about his message, that somehow, even with all of that, these tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. We could really sit and play with that for a minute, but we're not going to today because we're talking about the lavishly generous love of God. I'll just set this on this table right here. And some of you, when, when Carrie comes back from her vacation, say, Carrie, you should pick that up off the table and talk about that sometime. Um, but for now, we're just going to sit on the fact that there are these two very different groups of people gathering around Jesus. Now, there, I have some friends in the room that I've known for a while, and so I know well enough to know that this section of the room over here, tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> you all know that's true, right? right? We'll call you all the tax collectors and sinners, and over here we'll say, these are the, um, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You're the good side, right? Jody? You'd agree with that, right? Absolutely. Very different groups of people gathered around Jesus here, right? Tax collectors. We'll call them folks. Maybe they grew up going to church, maybe not. But from what we do know, at some point in their lives, they traded in um, anything about God for capitalism. Right? Tax collectors. We'll say that uh, the sinners, now those are an even more interesting group of folks, maybe they grew up going to church, maybe not. At some point they traded in anything about God for uh, what, because our, Billy, uh, our friend Billy Joel uh, describes this so well, right? The sinners are just much more fun. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, folks. <laughs> Work with me here. Hey, I know you are used to carry, so come on. So we got the sinners and the tax collectors on this side, and then on this other side, right, we have the good people, right? We've got the, the teachers of the law. We'll call those Christian school teachers, right? You always used to meet in a Christian school building, didn't you? Right, we'll call those the Christian school teachers, right? The folks, they grew up going to church, and man, they became Christian school teachers, and then the, the prize, the top of the line, right? The Pharisees. Right? Those are the ones that grew up and became pastors, missionaries. These are very different groups of people gathered around Jesus. The interesting thing, though, Jesus is going through a lot of small towns in his ministry. You know how small towns work. These people know each other. <laughs> They know each other's stories. And that's a good place to just pause for a second and wonder with you. As you think about either where you are or people in your life, is there anybody that you know that the last time you saw them, man, they were so far from God? You ever find yourself feeling Frustrated with them? Resentful even, maybe? (sighs) What is wrong with her? She knows better than that. You ever find that voice running through your head? Maybe that person is even closer to home, not just somebody you grew up with. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a parent. Or maybe it's the person you see in the mirror. What is wrong with her? See, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. in response to the uh, gathering of the sinners and the muttering of the Pharisees, Jesus tells three stories. Two are short, one is long. They all have the same point, but one has a little something extra on it. I want to tell you that story. It's a story that um, has become written on my own heart. One of the gifts of long meditation on the same passage, a practice which I would commend to anyone, uh, is that a story starts to live inside of you and shape you from the inside out. And this is true of this story um, for me. And so I'd just like to tell you the story. It it certainly can be shown behind me, um, but I'm just going to tell you the story. As I imagine Jesus would have told it at this gathering of the tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Many, many years ago, this very motley crew of people, as Jesus, uh, that were gathering around Jesus. As I tell the story, you'll note, especially if it's showing behind us or behind me, that um, I'm going to insert a few pieces of information along the way to help make explicit for us things that were implicit in the story. Um, and because for us sitting 2,000 years after the fact, some of the things that Jesus said would have been perfectly obvious to them, which just are not perfectly obvious to us. I'll insert those pieces along the way, you'll notice. But otherwise, I just want you to hear this incredible story of the lavishly generous love of God that Jesus tells this motley crew of people who are very far from God and people who thought they knew exactly who God was and what he was doing. So here's the story that our Lord told. He says, once there was a man who had two sons. And the youngest son said to his father, I am sick of this place. I am sick of you. Give me my share of the family business. So the father divided his property between his sons. And not long after that, the youngest son liquidated his assets, devastating the family's business and reputation. He took the money and went to a faraway country where he squandered, his entire inheritance on parties. When he had spent everything, a severe economic recession hit that country and he was broke. So he went and became a farmhand to a citizen of that country, and his job was to go out in the field and feed the pigs. And guys, he was so hungry that he fantasized about eating the pig's food. Y'all know that's hungry. No one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's workers have food to spare? Here I'm starving to death. I'll go back. I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am not worthy to be your son, but please, just give me a job. And so he got up, and he went home to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son began to say, Father, I'm sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But the father, he wasn't having that. He was too busy calling all of his workers, hey, quickly, get out the best robe. Put it on his shoulders. Get the family ring. Put it back on his hand. Get shoes for his feet. Go prepare the fattened calf. We're going to have a feast and celebrate. My son was dead, but he's alive. He was lost, but he's been found. And they began to party. Meanwhile, the older son, remember him? He was out in the field. He got closer and closer to the house. He began to hear the sound of music and dancing. And he said, calls one of the workers. He says, hey, what's going on up there? Ah, your brother's come home. And your father's prepared a feast because he has him back safe and sound. Was the older brother happy? No. Older brother was furious. And he refused to go in the house. So the father came to him, pleaded with him. But the older brother said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed anything you've asked of me. You've never even given me a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But here this son of yours who squandered all of your money on hookers comes home and you throw a feast for him. Son, said the father. You are always with me. Everything I have, it's yours. But we have to celebrate and rejoice today. Your brother was dead, but he's alive. He was lost. He's been found. This is the word of our Lord from Luke chapter 15. We give thanks to God for it. Isn't that such a good story, y'all? Oh, what a beautiful picture Jesus gives us of the lavishly generous love of God in this story. It's like a father who gets his lost son back home. And the joy that erupts in that reunion. Nothing can contain that joy. Hold everything, says the father. We're going to have a party. Friends, do you know That is God's heart for you. Do you know that that is the lavishly generous love of God toward you? I imagine that's, I think that's probably hard for some of you to imagine. I have no doubt that some of you are here today and you've started making decisions in your life that are very much like the younger son. I've served Christ Church in various different contexts, whether on campus or in congregations, for long enough to know that there's no doubt in any time that there's a gathering of folks that there are some of us who are actively pursuing wealth and pleasure over service and discipleship. There are some of us who are deep in the depths of addiction and are not yet ready to admit it. There are some of us who are living a double life with kind of a surface level religiousness, but no real repentance that goes with it. And like the younger brother, there are some of us here today, I have no doubt, that have said, God, I am sick of your ways, and I am sick of your rules, and we have turned our backs on God, even if we show up to placate the people around us. But probably, you wonder, if it were all to come out, if, God were to, if I were to actually ask God to Would he take me back? And maybe even you find yourself here today wondering, will God take me back? You show up to a church plant like this because you hear that maybe this is a place where you could be welcomed home. The story is clear, friends. I, I have such good news for you today, if that is you. Heaven erupts with joy every time a lost son or daughter comes home. In this story, everyone in the father's house is invited to this festive family reunion and everybody comes, almost. Isn't it strange that in the shadow of this festive family reunion, hugging, kissing, feasting, dancing, stands a bitter older brother who refuses to join the party standing outside muttering to himself about how this father welcomes a sinner of a son back home, even throws him a party instead of giving him what he deserves. And in there, friends, there's an invitation too for those of us who might be inclined to do all the right things, but whose hearts have grown cold toward God, maybe even bitter toward those whom God would choose to love. See, the genius of the story that Jesus tells to this group of Very religious and very unreligious people. Is that both the sons in the story are lost. Both of them far from the father. One rejected the father. One resented the father. But the father invites them both to come home. Welcome home, buddy. The father invites them both to come home. This is the lavishly generous love of God, friends, and it is for you. So if today you find yourself wandering far from the Father and you're wondering, would he ever take me back the message of Jesus to you? Come home. Come home and you'll find that what the Father feels towards you is not disgust, but compassion. Come home to find that the Father will throw his arms around you, welcome you back, maybe even a sloppy, wet kiss of the Spirit. Come home. And if you've been the compliant one, always doing the right things, going to church, doing your work, follow the rules, but you find that your heart has got hard, maybe even started to turn toward resentful, toward sinners who should know better and toward God who definitely should know better. The message to Jesus to you is the same. Come home. Everything the Father has is yours. Lay down the burden of trying to make your own way. Stop being a slave. Embrace the gift of being beloved. Everything the Father has is yours, Jesus said. Come home. See, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them, and Jesus says to them all, welcome home. Isn't that good news, friends? The good news of the gospel. God the Father has not given up. Not given up on you, not given up on me, not given up on parents, siblings, kids. Not giving up on neighbors or enemies. Not giving up on employees or bosses or students or teachers. Not giving up citizens. Not giving up on immigrants. Not giving up on Republicans or Democrats. Just not giving up because he's a father who loves lavishly and generously. And he is absolutely heaven-bent. Amen. I got you. Absolutely heaven-bent, little one on bringing home all of his lost children through the ministry of his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, he's welcomed you home. So here's the question for us to sit with today and to be in prayer about. Who else needs an invitation? I imagine as we started this message with thinking about folks that you knew who had traded in God for capitalism or traded in God because sinners are much more fun whatever that trade has looked like and the people that you know I imagine that there are people that you know that immediately popped into your mind that need an invitation that need to have for them exactly what happens for the younger son in the story for them to come alive to themselves again something that only God can do and then receive an invitation to come home Maybe that's you, but maybe it's someone that you're that God has placed on your mind. So what we want to do this morning is, uh, I'm just going to offer a prayer for us. But as we pray, that whoever that person was that's in your mind that needs an invitation, just lift them up to the Lord. That the Spirit of God would work in such a way that they would come alive again. And be ready to be welcomed home. Does that make sense? Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for being masterful in your telling of what the lavish, generous love of God looks like. Thank you that that love is for us. And so for Jesus, for any of us here today who heard the invitation to come home, will you welcome us in? give us the gift of coming back alive to ourselves and to you again. For those that need to hear your word of welcome, may it be loud and clear and may your embrace be real and genuine, God, to welcome us, whether we have rejected you or resented you, to welcome us back home. And for those people in our lives, God, that we know whether they're people we work with or people we live with, um, people we've known for a long time or people that we're just meeting. For those that need the invitation to come home to you, we pray. We lift up those people that you brought to our mind even as we heard in, in this message. Whoever they are, God, do the work in them that you did in both the younger son and the oldest son in this story. Do the work of making them awake again to you and to your love. And do the work of welcoming them back in right where they are, right who they are, so that they can be made into who you have called them to be and who you've made them to be. Do that work, God, we pray. It is a miracle of your grace to love people like us so lavishly and generously. We thank you for it. And we pray that it would be true more and more for all of the friends that we love in the people that we love, and also of the people we don't. So change our hearts more and more to be like you, Jesus. We long for this, and we look forward to it, and we ask for it in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We all say together, amen.